This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. To get started today, I, I want to tell you a story. I want to tell you a story about something that happened on accident. In 1938, a DuPont engineer named Ray Plunkett actually accidentally discovered a material that came to be known as polytetrafluoroethylene. This is the story of how that happened. As Plunkett was attempted to make a new chlorofluorocarbon with a CFC refrigerant, all right, if you know anything about the, the 30s, 40s, and 50s, CFCs were blamed for the depletion of the ozone layer and global warming later. All right, so he's attempting to make a new CFC refrigerant. The tetrafluoroethylene gas in its pressure bottle stopped flowing before the bottle's weight had dropped to a point signifying that it was empty. So since Plunkett was measuring the amount of gas used by weighing the bottle, he became curious as to the source of the weight and finally resorted to sawing the bottle apart, and he found the bottle's interior coated with a waxy white material that was oddly slippery. That material became known as polytetrafluoroethylene. Now, polytetrafluoroethylene's common name is Teflon. Teflon is used today to coat all sorts of things because when it is applied, it becomes nonstick, right? You have nonstick pans that are coated with DuPont Teflon. It's a huge advantage, and it all happened on accident. How many of y'all would say this with me? Man, I would love it if my spirit and my heart could be coated with Teflon. That when a fence came, it would just slide off. It wouldn't stick to me. How many of y'all would love that today? If we could just have spirits that were coated with Teflon that couldn't receive or harbor an offense. And the truth is, is that we can. But the truth also is, is that it won't happen on accident. It'll only happen through the intentional effort and work of us preparing and then responding. Now, I want to review a little bit. Matthew 24 is kind of where we kick this series off. In verse 10, Jesus is speaking, and he said, Then in those days, these days, the days that we live in today, many will be offended, will betray one another, will hate one another, and then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because of the lawlessness, the love of many will grow cold. The truth is, is that all of us need to be reminded of that. And we need to be reminded, and you're going to need to be reminded, not just today, but really continuously as you progress and work your way through life, because there is not going to be a moment in your life, a season in your life, when you won't have the opportunity to be offended. Jesus said, it is impossible that no offenses would come to you. So the potential to be offended is always going to be present. And the consequence Look at that verse again. The consequence is that your love will grow cold. Now, after I graduated from college, I moved back to Stanley County. And within a span of just a few months, 
Every person that I would say was an influencer or a leader or a spiritual father, every person leveraged an offense towards me. It was really a very difficult season because I was young in the Lord. I was just young personally. I had no idea how to deal with it. I became bitter, started to not go to church when in Bible college, I mean, I, I, not only was I in church almost two or three times a week, I was traveling the country, leading worship all across the country, and speaking in many different environments. And here I am now, just three or four months removed from that, and I'm, I'm sleeping in on Sunday mornings, and I'm not reading my Bible, and the, the centrality of Jesus is starting to come peripheral for me. I mean, Jesus is moving from the very center of my life to a very peripheral station. And it happened because I chose to be offended. So I think Hebrews 3 says something that's important for us. Exhort one another every day, as long as it's called the day, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. See, the problem that we've talked about in this series is that when there's an opportunity to become offended and we harbor that offense and we don't leverage forgiveness, we carry around unforgiveness and it is sin. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus talks about the seriousness of that. He says that if you're unwilling to forgive somebody, then God will be unwilling to forgive you. That's serious. That is serious business. And so our love grows cold in the wake of an offense. And we need to be reminded almost every day and encouraged by people who are around us to respond to those opportunities to be offended the right way. It's not theory. It's personal. And it's personal for almost every person in this room. You can look back and find a moment where there was an offense, and as you trace the progression forward, you can look and find a place where the love of God and your love for others started to grow cold. And that's exactly what happened to me. And then one day, I woke up and started to examine my life and noticed, this isn't who I've been. This isn't what I want for me. This isn't how I want to live my life. I don't want to be bitter. I don't want to be harsh and judgmental. I don't want this for me. And so something needs to change. And so I did what I typically do when I know something needs to change is I went to the scriptures and I found in it, in Acts 24, verse 16, this verse where the Apostle Paul is speaking. Pay attention to this. I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense towards God and men. I'm going to read that again. I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense towards God and men. How many of y'all would like in your head space to not have any offenses towards God or men? How many of y'all would like that? I would, I would absolutely love that. And the Apostle Paul says here, this is something that I strive for. Now, 
The word that's used there in the Greek for strive is the word eskeo, which literally means to exercise with continuity and effort. This is not just a sprint. This is a marathon. I strive. I am continuously putting in work and effort to try to keep my mind and my heart free from offense. Now, the thing about offenses is that there are things that can be offensive that are not always offended. If I brought some of you up here, you're friends of mine, now I might bring you up on stage and just out of, out of fun, I might slap you on the face. You probably wouldn't be offended. You might slap me back. <laughs> Kevin, you did, I'm going to slap you right back. I'm going to push you. I might get a little bro pushing match up here, you know, just out of fun. But if I took this table and beat you over the head with it, right, which is totally out of character, I'm not saying that I would do that, but if I did it, right, you would be offended. And probably hurt and wounded. And I mean, the truth of those two scenarios is really that some offenses don't wound us, but some wound us deeply. Some things that could be offensive just, well, they kind of slide off and we don't receive them as an offense. But some things actually that could be offensive, we take it and we internalize it and it creates a deep and personal wound. And the Apostle Paul, put that verse back up there, he says, I always strive to have a conscience without offense. I'm always exercising. It's what he's saying. I'm always doing exercises to prevent and to protect myself from offenses. So if we're going to overcome offense, we've got to examine that, the exercise. See, some exercise, if you know this, it's preventative. Some of the exercises that we do in life, if your routine is to go to the gym and to work out, actually what you're doing is you're positioning your body not to be hurt. This is why when I coached football, we made it a big deal for our athletes to lift before season. Because here's what would happen in their bodies. They would have tiny little injuries. That's why you feel sore after you've lifted. And those tiny little injuries would create new flexible muscle. So that in the middle of the season, when they took a hit, that new flexible muscle wasn't as rigid as the old rigid muscle, and they were less likely to be injured. It prevented an injury. Some exercise that we do is preventative, but some that we do is rehabilitative. Right? We actually go in, and some of you have torn an ACL or an MCL or had a shoulder reconstruction, and you go to a physical therapist, and they put you through the works, and it is painful, and it hurts. But the pain is producing health. It's getting you better. See, I think that both of those Types of exercises need to be present in our lives if we're going to stay free from offense. The Apostle Paul points to that. That I'm exercising so that my, my head space will stay free from offense. One of those we find in Psalm 119, verse 165, where the Bible says, Great peace have those who love your law, and nothing shall offend them. And nothing shall offend them. How many of y'all would love it if nothing would offend you? <laughs> Would that change your life? 
wouldn't it? I mean, nothing could offend you. It would just radically change our life because when we become offended, everything that God has been building on the inside becomes unhinged. But what precedes that? They love God's law. They love the word of God. They're in the word of God. They're seeking God inside of his word. And they love the presence of God that they find in his word. There is this active exercise that is happening before the offense is leveraged. So we need to be the kind of people that seek God, that get into his word, that pray, that actively pursue a relationship that is loving and engaged with him. We need that. That is the work that preps our heart to not receive an offense. But the truth is, is that we're going to experience offense. There's going to be an opportunity to be offended. There are going to be people that do things that hurt us deeply. So what do we do in the wake of an offense? Because if I ask the question right now, and we were honest, how many of you are carrying an offense towards somebody. There's somebody that's hurt you. You're carrying the the difficulty and the pain that goes with that. Many of you across the room would raise your hand. There's somebody. So how do we deal with that? We actually find the instructions in the words of Jesus in Matthew 5. Now, I just want you to do this for me. Prepare your hearts because this is not going to go where you think it should go. In Matthew 5, Jesus gives us this directive. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you. Do all of that so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Pray for those that have offended you. Do you realize that in all the Gospels, Jesus never asked you to pray for your parents? That in the entirety of the Gospels, Jesus never once said, pray for the safety of your children. But he says, pray for your enemies. That's uncomfortable. But it's real. We actually see this in the life of David as David kind of writes this in Psalm 35. They repay me evil for good and leave me like one bereaved. Yet when they were ill, I put on sackcloth and humbled myself with fasting. When my prayers returned to me unanswered, I went about mourning as though for my friend or a brother. I bowed my head in grief as though weeping for my mother. David is describing a moment when those who had betrayed him, who were actively working towards his despise and his demise. Like those people, he prayed for them and he gave himself to them and cared for them as if they were family. See, I think that if we could really take the words of Jesus in Matthew 5 to heart, it would be that we would do this, that we would pray for those who have offended you, what you want for your kids, your parents, and yourself. that we would start praying for the people who have offended us and hurt us, 
and we would pray for them and want for them what we want for our kids and our our parents and even ourselves. And some of y'all are thinking, Kevin, I don't know if I can do that. What, What do you want me to pray for them? What do you want? Well, let's just talk about that for a minute. What can we pray for someone who has offended us? What can we pray? First, pray that they live a life that pleases God. Pray that their life pleases God. Number two, pray that they would know God as much as a man or a woman humanly can possibly know God. Pray that their relationship with God would deepen and intensify and be intimate. Number three, pray that God's word would open their hearts and minds to God's wisdom. That they would be open to God's word and that as they read God's word, it would speak to them. Pray that God would reveal his heart to them. That they would sense the truth of God and who God is and who God wants them to be. Pray that God would surround them with men and women that will speak truth and love to them. That there'll be godly accountability and godly counsel. And that there'll be godly guidance in their life. Pray that God will provide for them financially. Pray for protection over their family. Now here's the thing. Is that easy? No. Is that painful? Yeah, it is. It's absolutely painful. It is thoroughly painful. But if you've ever been through rehab, here's the thing. You have a choice. You can stay wounded or you can go through the pain. Because it, pay, it takes pain to walk through that season. And can I just talk to you about the way we pray just for a moment? Can I talk to you about how we pray? Can I ask you to stop doing something, please? Can we stop praying what feels good? You know what feels good to pray? To pray for that new job. Or to pray for that financial blessing. You know, it feels good to pray. It feels good to pray for your kid's safety. It feels good to pray that God will take care of your mom and dad. And I'm not saying that those are bad things to pray. But if we don't pray the way that God asks us to pray, all we're praying is comfort instead of the truth. And instead of praying what's easy and comfortable and what feels good, Effective prayers are prayers that reflect the truth of God's heart. So I'm going to challenge you. That person that's in your heart that's offended you, I'm going to ask you to start doing something. I'm going to ask you to spend 21 days, 21 days praying for them every single day. You may need to set a reminder on your phone. You may need to type out a prayer but I'm going to ask you to start praying for them. And it's going to be painful. You know why it's going to be painful? Because it's going to force you to stand face to face with the pain that you've been running away from. 
the pain that you haven't walked through, the pain that you haven't dealt with. And for the first time, maybe ever, you're going to actually start to invite God. God, I want you in this mess. And I'm going to start praying for them. But as you start to pray, something is going to shift in your heart. Because of this principle, pain often precedes healing. And so many of us run away from the pain of the offense, and we never experience the healing that God wants to bring about. And it starts with with us being willing to do what God has asked us to do, which is to pray for those that have offended us. So what's next? So I start praying. I spend the next 21 days, Kevin. What happens if I start praying for them? 21 days. What's the next step in all of this? Well, Jesus answers that in Matthew 18, verse 15, where he says, if a brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. Now, most of the time we get this wrong because we feel like we have the permission in this to just simply go speak the truth. And so the way that we do this is we actually go tell them what they did wrong and announce our forgiveness. Hey, can I meet with you? Can we sit down? Just, just it'll, it'll only take a moment. Come over here. Uh, you remember when you did that? You totally sucked, but I forgive you. I'm done. We'll talk later. All right? That's how we handle that. That's how we imagine Jesus wanted that to walk out. But the problem is is that nowhere in the Bible do you have permission to say something simply because it's true. Nowhere. The only permission God gives us in speaking truth is if we can say truth in love. Now, I don't know if y'all have realized this, but there is no problem that exists in a relationship that is one person's fault. At all. I don't care if it's a casual friendship or if it's a major intimate relationship like your marriage. There is no, it's their fault. It's our problem. And if you're honest... If you're carrying an offense that happened, you can at least admit that, you know what, I'm carrying bitterness and unforgiveness, and that's sinful because God asked me to forgive you the same way that he's forgiven me. So if we would approach this conversation this way, it would change things. If we would confess our sin, hey, you know what, I blew it. This happened, I totally misread it. I know that's not your heart. I know you. I know you better than that. But I took it as an offense. I haven't been willing to forgive you. It's turned into bitterness. I'm sorry. We confess our sin, ask their forgiveness and humility, and create an attitude of appreciation and honor. Then something begins to change. Put that verse up there, Matthew 18 again. Look at this. If your brother sins against you, go and tell them his fault between you and him alone. 
Do you see the honor and love and respect that's represented in that method? See, often we blow that and we don't approach it. And our attitude matters so much because God is not simply wanting to cultivate forgiveness. See, sometimes I think we confuse the difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. See, forgiveness releases an offense. Forgiveness goes to that person and it says, you are, I let you go. You are no longer uh, responsible for my feelings. I, let, I release you of this. I forgive you of this. It's over with. But reconciliation restores a relationship. Reconciliation restores a relationship. And here's the truth. The goal of God is that in the wake of a great offense, not that the love would grow cold, but that the relationship would be restored. Now go back up to that verse again, Matthew 18. Look at this. There's another word I want to point out. If he hears you, you've gained your brother. If this goes well, what happens in the end? You've gained your brother back. Notice at the very beginning, your brother sins against you. If he hears you, you have gained him. Again, the relationship has been restored. You have been reconciled. But notice that word, if. Let's us know that it's not always going to work out that way. See, here's the truth about forgiveness and reconciliation. Forgiveness depends on me. Forgiveness depends on me. Wholeheartedly. I don't care how bad the offense is. I don't care what happened. You make the decision to forgive. It is wholeheartedly rest on your shoulders. It's not when they do this or when they finally live up to it or when I finally see they're sorry. No. Forgiveness rests on you. But reconciliation depends on us. In God's heart... Is for reconciliation. Think about it. Isn't that exactly the way Jesus approached his relationship with you? Look at this. This is in your notes. He chose to forgive us before we repented and we reconciled. See, before you ever made a decision to approach Jesus in humility and receive him as your Lord and Savior, before you ever said, God, I'm sorry for my sin, he made the decision to forgive you. Before you did it. Before you were ever reconciled to him and that relationship was restored, he already made the way for you to do it. So why? When God has said somebody is worth forgiving, why do we say, no, they're not? The only way that we do that is we play judge and we cut off the potential to experience the healing that God wants for us. I'm reminded of what God said in Romans 2, 4, that perhaps you 
despise the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience because you do not realize that God's kindness is intended to lead you to turn from your sins. When I learned that verse, it was the kindness of the Lord is what leads to repentance. And so many times when we approach those who have offended with harshness, all we do is to promote more distance. But when we approach them in humility and compassion, things change. For when we choose kindness, grace, and humility, it often leads to reconciliation. Which is why I think it's so important what Peter says in 1 Peter 4 verse 8. Most important of all, Continue to show deep love for one another. For love covers a multitude of sin. Love covers a multitude of sin. See, what happens when you start praying for that person that offends you? For the first little bit, it's going to be painful. Because you're going to have to walk through the hurt and the bitterness and the pain that was associated with the offense. But you want to know something? That person got close enough to you to wound you deeply because at one point you cared about them. You were intimate with them and you loved them. And eventually, as healing begins to start in your heart, love is going to emerge because the love that grew cold is going to be reignited by the Holy Spirit. Because love covers a multitude of sin. So what do you do? What do you do if you do all of that and the person still is not willing to reconcile and not willing to listen to you and not willing to be humble and repentant? What do you do then? Just remind you of the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans 12. Never pay back evil with evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see that you are honorable. And do all that you can. Do all that you can. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Exhaust your possibilities for the sake of reconciliation. Because God did the exact same thing for you. He left nothing on the table. Because a life was demanded for you to be reconciled to God, God made the decision to send his one and only son to be executed on your behalf so that you could be reconciled to God freely, not based on your own worth, but based on the merit of his grace extended to you. Not everyone will choose reconciliation. But by choosing to humbly repent and to create an environment of love, it'll actually produce healing in your heart and the release of the offense. So let me ask you a question today. If someone offends you, and it's going to happen, For many of us, it's going to happen 
Maybe in the next few hours, maybe in the next few days. If someone offends you, do you have the right to be offended? Do you have the right? Yeah, you do. You do because God has given us freedom. And his word declares that he has not constricted our decisions. He has given us the freedom to choose who we are and who we're becoming. In the next few months, I'm going to expand this. I believe that it's going to change the way we think about who we are. But if you've made a decision, pay attention to this clearly. If you've made a a decision to follow Jesus and to make him your Lord and Savior, to say that I am going to live this Jesus life, if you have made that decision and surrendered to him, do you have the right to be offended? No, you don't. Because he took that offense and nailed it to the cross in the form of his son, Jesus. And he said, and it's in Colossians 3, the debt is paid. The debt is paid. So why? Why would you live in a prison that Jesus already paid the ransom to get you out of. Why? Because he's already paid for the freedom from offense. All we have to be willing to do is to do the work. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.